You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Damascus, Oregon. We hope this message encourages and challenges you in your daily walk with Christ, but doesn't replace the importance of gathering together each week with a local community of people that follow Jesus. It's together that we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast. But I'd like to begin this morning by reading a portion of our text uh, in 1 Samuel 22. It's on page 230 in the hymn uh, Bibles in front of you. If you need a Bible, just grab one of those and just take it home uh, with us. And I'd ask you to stand as we're going to read verses 20 uh, through 23, if you're able to stand. 1 Samuel 22, and just listen as I, as I read. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Stay with me. You'll be in safekeeping. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, come to your text this morning, the words that you spoke uh, through men and women so long ago that have been canonized in Scripture, uh, that were written for us, for our benefit today in the 21st century here in, in Oregon. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come in and make these words alive, that you'd open our eyes, that we would see, you'd open our ears, that we would hear, that you'd soften our hearts so that we would know what you'd have for us this morning. Lord, that we would see that you are right there with us in the midst of our, our trials and our sufferings. That life's not going to be uh, perfect when you're walking with Jesus, but that, you're, that Jesus is going to be right there with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we're faced with choices every day, really, which team we're going to be on, which, which kingdom we're going to be building. Uh, And as we come to the text, I want to set it up a little bit. I want to give a picture in your mind of these two different teams, these two different kingdoms that are rising that we're going to choose between. Uh, We lived in Ohio, and we moved down to Georgia my freshman year in high school. So it was a really big move. Uh, The first few months, we were in a, a little private Christian school that things went really bad, really fast. And so in December, right after Christmas, my parents enrolled me into the public high school. That was there. So my freshman year, I was in uh, two high schools. Uh, The public high school was in Augusta, Georgia. It was actually only 2.3 miles away from the Augusta National. So if you're uh, a golf fan, uh, you know this is a kind of a prestigious area. Uh, We were not at all wealthy or anything, but we were uh, enrolled in that high school. Really nice high school. Um, Lots of, I would say, uh, spoiled people uh, with lots of money. Um, it, it, was, it was kind of rough uh, to be there because we didn't really uh, fit in. My freshman year, uh, I started on the soccer team, and, and I actually got uh, a Letterman jacket um, from a school called Westside. Very affluent, affluent school. Uh, it was miserable to be there. Uh, the team I played on was with, uh, I, know you, I don't know if you can say this in church, it was a bunch of jerks. Uh, <laughs> 
they would talk bad, rude comments, rude jokes. It was, it was just really difficult to be on that team. But yet everyone on that team had like the nicest outfits. They had played traveling, select, all these teams because their parents could uh, afford it. And so starting on that team, we, we went like 12-0 and 0 that, that season. Uh, but it was, it was a miserable experience for me. Uh, we, we had uh, lots of skill. We had a really nice soccer field. We had all the equipment that we needed. The coach was really good. He, knew, he really knew what he was doing. All the players were really, uh, really good players. Um, but it, it was kind of a bad experience. Well, we moved. We were living in a little uh, apartment, and we moved to the other side of town my sophomore year. Now, the other side of the tracks, if you will, um, it was a very... Poor area, I would say. Uh, the high school that we went to was called Butler High School. It had uh, barbed wire uh, facing in, uh, which <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. Uh, so prison, yes, maybe. Uh, it was a closed school, so they didn't want kids getting, getting out. It was overpopulated. Uh, the graduation rate when I graduated was 36%. Uh, I was a minority in the school, and you can see on the field there, that was uh, our practice field. It was pretty much dirt and uh, just potholes, and you had to watch out for everything. Uh, coach Laney was my coach, really nice guy. He was the football coach that I guess wanted a little extra money, really had no idea about soccer, uh, would, had a book, I think, that he uh, looked at. Uh, on, that, on that team, um, we didn't have the uh, affluent, well-to-do people. We had all the uh, foreign players <laughs> who had come over here as foreign exchange students. Uh, didn't speak English very well. Um, didn't really fit in most places. It was really a ragtag uh, group of, of people. Uh, I got my Letterman jacket from there as well. Um, those are our colors, gold and black. Uh, our uniforms were ancient. Uh, really old. I kind of remember them being a little bit too short, too. Remember how the old times, they were, everything was a little bit shorter? Um, well, uh, two teams, two, two opposite teams of uh, what I played on. Now, as we come to our text today in 1 Samuel 22 and 23, uh, we're going to be presented with, with two different teams, uh, uh, two kingdoms that are going to be rising and representative in, in two people. The kingdom of Saul, uh, which is powerful, it's controlling, it's, it's violent, it's wealthy, it has everything it needs. And then there's this kingdom of uh, uh, this anointed king, uh, David, humble guy, uh, doesn't have a lot. And we're going we're gonna to see his kingdom as he's building it. It's kind of made of a misfit group of, of people. Uh, one is really rich and strong and powerful, and one is very humble and poor and weak. One demands your life, and one saves your life. So as we uh, come to the text, we're going to see the camera or the spotlight change on each of these kingdoms. And we're going to go uh, back and forth just uh, two times uh, as we see uh, the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Saul. So if you have your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, there's one in, in front of you. We'll be on page 229 in 1 Samuel 22. So 1 Samuel 22. We'll see the first kingdom, the kingdom of Saul, as it, or David, as it, it, it rises up. The spotlight focuses on David. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there 
to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul, they gathered all around to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and stayed with them all the day, all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. David, this uh, anointed king of Israel, he, he just left the city of Nob, if you remember from last week, where, where he got this holy bread from the priest, uh, and he gets the sword of uh, Goliath, and he goes from there and he hides in this, in this cave, uh, hiding, running from uh, King Saul. Now, now, just for a minute, how would you imagine you being the Lord's anointed, he's leading and directing you, and you're, and you're on the run, you're running for your life against the king, and you're actually in a cave, uh, maybe by yourself with one or two other guys going, here I am, the anointed king, sitting in a cave with nothing. And wondering, was David at all wondering, boy, did I, did I miss the turn for God's plan for my life? I mean, am I, am I not living up to my full potential? Is, what's going wrong here? Why am I sitting in this cave when I'm the anointed king of Israel? Well, while he's sitting in that cave, all of a sudden people start hearing about it, his family and friends. And so they start coming down to this cave with him. They go down to the cave. Do you see that in the text? They go down. They don't go up. They go down to the cave, which really, I think, represents not only the geography of where he was, but also his situation in life as he's going down. It's a very low point in David's life and what he's experienced. And, and then when he's down, he, all of a sudden there's 400 guys that are, are, are coming to him. And these aren't the guys that you pick for your, your kickball team in recess. The, these are not the guys that you would want to pick. The, these are the guys that are in debt, they're broken, they, they have nothing left. They're distressed, they're bitter of soul, they're just hurt. So you gather all these guys uh, together in this cave uh, all around uh, David, and David's got to be thinking, none of these guys can bring anything to the kingdom that I'm building. They've got no power. They've got no influence. The, these are all misfits that are coming around. Now, I'm sure, as they're sitting in that cave, that as 400 men uh, start coming to him, that he might start getting a, a, little, a little worried. Hey, we're going to start sticking out. How do you fit 400 men in a, in a cave? Not to mention the smell. That's what I was thinking of. 400 men in the desert in Israel, I mean, that would be uh, something. Well, whatever it is, these 400 men are growing, and David's like, man, we're, we're sticking out like a sore thumb. But his first thought isn't like Saul. It isn't, how can I protect myself? His first thought is, how can I protect my parents? Uh, because if Saul comes and kills me, I, I won't be able to pr protect them. And, and we're, really, we're really sticking out now. So if you look on the map, he goes from Adullam, that cave, all the way to the other side of the Dead Sea, to Moab. He takes this long trip, even when all, he has all this pressure of all these guys going, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? He says, no, first I need to take care of my parents. It's exactly opposite of Saul, who, 
who looks out for number one first, David and his kingdom is looking out for the most vulnerable in the group. How can we protect the most vulnerable? Uh, Saul's throwing spears, and David is taking a long trip to keep them safe. Now, he went all the way to, to Moab, and for us, that might be like, that's odd. Moab is an enemy of Israel, um, but this isn't a random place for, for David. So my great-great-great-grandmother was from Scotland, and David's great-great-great-grandmother was from Moab. He, he's going back to his roots. If you uh, are interested and you flip the cha chapter back from 1 Samuel, you'll get to the story of Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabitess, and she ends up being the great-great-grandmother of King David. Uh, so David, I don't know if he remembers the provision of the Lord and how God worked, or, or if he just has that Moabite root in him. He did a DNA, you know, Ancestry.com, and it's like, oh, I'm going to get back to my roots. Thinking that Saul knows that Moab is an enemy of Israel, and, and that's a great place to hide his family. He, he wants to protect them. Then David goes back into the stronghold, into the place where he's safe, uh, maybe comfortable a little bit, he, where he's got this stronghold in front of him, and this prophet named Gad comes up to him and goes, uh, you need to leave from here, and, and you actually need to start marching towards Saul. <laughs> Go into Judah. And he obeys and, and leaves the stronghold and goes into this forest. Now, I want to stop right here, and I just want to point out three things about the characteristics of the kingdom of David. And we'll compare these because they're in stark contrast in our text today. Three characteristics of the kingdom of David. Here's the first one. The kingdom of David welcomes everyone. Do you notice that? There was, no, there was no standard like, oh, if you have this much money or if you can do this or if you have this degree or this influence. Uh, David's kingdom is being built around broken, uh, bitter of soul, hurting, lost, in-debt people. Saying, yeah, just come on. That's fine. Come on. This, is, this will be the kingdom, the kingdom of broken people. Those who humbly come to the king. The second thing is that it's selfish, selfless. It's selfless. It seeks the good of others first. It's seeking the most, how can I protect the most vulnerable? And even in this situation, uh, David's kingdom is really not about him. It's about how do I protect and care for other people? other people. It's very selfless. He makes that long trip for safety of his parents. And then the third one I want to point out is that it's God-directed. You see, they were in this stronghold, uh, or at least they would have had some cover, right? And, and the prophet Gad, uh, and the book of Samuel is actually, in the Jewish uh, order of things, is actually in the prophet's section, because the highlight is on uh, the prophets as they keep appearing in, in the story. Well, this prophet Gad comes uh, to David and says, hey, you need to move from here and go towards Judah. And, and David obeys. Like, he, he's inquiring of the Lord, and the Lord's answering, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. And yet his, his story, we would say, boy, that's a really rough, uh, rough story. He's going to go through a lot of sufferings and trials in this thing, but, but the kingdom of David is God-directed. It's walking step by step in tune with the Lord's direction. Well, the kingdom of David, he welcomes everybody. It's selfless and it's God-directed. And now we'll see uh, in our text that the camera angle is going to shift, and we're going to look at Saul and his characteristics of his kingdom. Look in verse 6. Now Saul heard that David had, was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah, 
under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. And if you remember from last week, he's still got that spear in his hand. And all the servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my, my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. Uh, I saw the son of Jesse come into Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest the son of Ahitub, and all the father's house, and the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. He doesn't even say his name. He answered him, Here, here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and all that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he, may, he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day, then Ahimelech answered the king, all who among, uh, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law, the captain over your bodyguard, the, and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die. And Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand uh, also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their would not put out their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child, infant, ox, donkey, sheep, put them all to the sword. Now, I don't know what Doeg looked like, but I can imagine him as this man that's just pure evil. Uh, anything to get a little bit ahead, he's probably thinking. that He would turn around and he would kill with the sword 85 priests who probably just stood there. And then decimate a, a whole town. It's just evil. Hardened heart. And that Saul, this is the kind of kingdom that he wants to build. Let me point out three things of Saul's kingdom in contrast to the kingdom of David. The first one is that it's, self, it's selfish. He, he, uh, he kind of taunts everyone. Hey, uh, David can't get you uh, wealth and security and land and all this stuff. You think he's going to get it for you? I can do it for you. Uh, won't you rat him out a little bit and I'll give you a little bit, of, a little bit more. I mean, if you choose evil over good, 
then your security will be with me. And, and I'll promise all these things. And, and right now you don't have those things. And if you, just, if you want a little more, just be on my side. Just take, take it. Take, take just the little thing. I promise you something even better. That Actually, David's holding out on you, and he can't give it to you anyway. And Doag, the Edomite, he takes it hook, line, and sinker. He says, I'll, I'll give up a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll give up my soul, my conscience, any of that, to get ahead just a little bit in this kingdom. Saul gives you this lie that, hey, guys, you don't have enough. You want more? You've you got you to push the other guys down if you want it. It's completely selfish. And it's false in the end, we'll see. It, it's selfish, and the second thing is that it loves evil. Loves evil. You know, if you, if you think about it, Saul is a type of Antichrist. Uh, Christ means Messiah or anointed. David is the anointed one. And Saul, as he is against the anointed one, is a, a, a foreshadow, a picture of what the Antichrist is going to be. In fact, many Antichrists will, will be. Uh, and he's absolutely in rebellion against the Lord. That, that he would say, okay, I want you to kill all these priests. And if you think about what priests are, pre, priests were supposed to be uh, image bearers of the Lord, representatives, mediators between God and man. Uh, so if you wanted to know something about the Lord, you would go to a priest at this time, and, and they would inquire of the Lord, and they would tell you, hey, this is what the Lord says. And as Saul goes, I want you to kill all the priests. In a sense, he is saying, I'm trying to kill God. I want nothing to do with him. Kill him out. Just pure evil and rebellion. It's not that Saul's kingdom had just, oh, it just missed the mark. It was standing in opposition and complete rebellion against God and all his ways. And in fact, even wanting to kill the people that represented God as if somehow Saul could kill God. Saul's kingdom loved evil. And the third thing is it was destructive. He hears all this stuff. Even, even that Ahimelech's like, look, I didn't know any of this stuff. And David, he's innocent. And he says these words, you shall surely die. The priest, all the innocent people, the towns, everyone destroyed by Saul, you shall surely die. See, the kingdom of Saul, it just consumes and kills and promises you this awesome life and then at any moment will take everything from you. It was actually at this point that David wrote a psalm that I'd like to read. Uh, I, I think he's, he, he's hearing the news of all of this absolute destruction and evil. He, he writes this psalm uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit that I think it's supposed to, to move and guide our emotions and point us back to Jesus and the true kingdom. Uh, if you want to look, it's on page 444 in the Pew Bibles. It's uh, Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Uh, so as we just pause now in the sermon, allow this psalm to be a guide for where you're at um, when you're facing something like the kingdom of Saul that's promising all this stuff, but in the end it's just destroying and evil. Uh, psalm 52. To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, 
David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God, it endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Stop and think about that. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful, deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Saul's kingdom, it seemed powerful at the moment. It seemed like it had all the resources to give you everything you would ever want. And all it's doing is it's like this hook that's putting you on. You want this? Yeah, it's going to take your life and it's going to consume you until in the end you have nothing. But the kingdom of God, it promises you eternity, security, forgiveness, refuge. God will bring about justice and protect the people of his kingdom. Now in chapter 22, the, the camera angle goes back one more time to the kingdom of David. That puts it in sharp contrast to the kingdom of Saul. And Let's see that in just the, the last couple of verses. Uh, verse 20 says this. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David and Saul, that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on the day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Verse 23, stay with me, do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Two, two more characteristics of the kingdom of David. Uh, the first one is that it drives away fear. Uh, drives away fear. He's like, you don't have to be afraid. When you're with the anointed king, uh, fear is, is driven away. It's, it doesn't, he doesn't promise, hey, you're not going to have any more problems and your life's going to be perfect from now on. Just come with me. I'm offering you all these things. It, he's saying, stay with me and fear will go away. I will give you peace. The presence of the king drives away fear and brings peace. And the last thing is that it brings safety. He says, you shall be in safekeeping. Those are the words of, of David, the anointed king. You, you shall be in safekeeping. As contrasted to the words of King Saul that says, you shall surely die. David in the kingdom of God, it stands for, David is like a representative of the kingdom of, of, of God. 
And it's in contrast to the kingdom of Saul, which is really a representative of the, of the kingdom of humanity. These two kingdoms really uh, are in stark contrast with each other in how they operate and the characteristics of, of both of them. Uh, so the question for all of us is then, which kingdom are we operating in? Which jacket are you wearing as you go out and you deal with other people? What, which team are you on? The kingdom of, of Saul? That's all about me first. I'm going to push other people down. I've got to protect my own. I'm going to do whatever I can to just get a little bit ahead of somebody. I'm, I'm going to berate people on the Internet. I'm going to talk bad about people. Anything, I'm going to lie and cheat and steal. Anything to get a little bit ahead, and I don't care who it costs. Family, friends, anything. Or the kingdom of David. That really foreshadows and represents the kingdom of an even greater king, Jesus. Who is humble and kind, who looks after the innocent and most vulnerable, that says, with me, I'll keep you secure. I'll, I'll keep you safe. Well, after, uh, after I switched from Westside to go to Butler High School, from the really rich school to the really poor school, uh, we were in the same division. So we had to play each other for the next three years. Uh, so th my teammates, who actually I didn't really enjoy that much anyway, uh, when we would play each other, uh, they would totally make fun of me. How, when are you going to get out of jail? <laughs> like, your team stinks. This is your field? This is horrible. Uh, and, and so every time we would play them, and they were on the schedule, boy, uh, you better believe that there's a little fight in me that's like, yeah, I'm going to get them. Lace up those shoes extra tight. Talk to all my teammates at Butler. Come on, guys. We got to do this. This is the most important win we got to do. And, and I would, uh, uh, would want to tell you this, the end of the story. What do you, know, do you think? What, 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 is it, what is it? We lost. <laughs> we lost. And I think there's something in all of us, or at least in me there is, that's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. Because we watch the movies like Hoosiers and Rudy, and you get those little guys that are doing the right thing, and they, they beat the big champion, and you're like, yes, that's what we should be. And so as I go to this team that doesn't have any of the resources, or our, our coach didn't even know how to play the game, you would think, but we're there, and we're, we're, we had great friends there, and we're really enjoying it. Boy, we could beat them, but we don't. We lose. And I think for our Western sensibility that something's wrong about that. And I think we take that wrongness, and we bring it to our spiritual life as well. And this, this idea that once you accept Jesus, once you're in the church and you're working and all that stuff, your life should be great, Right? Come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. Boy, if you could just have Jesus, you'll be the victor in everything. That's what we want, right? But that's not what we experience. If, if you just have Jesus, there's no more accidents, no more hurts, no more experiencing loss, and we all know that's just not true. Now, we're not going to take the time to read through Psalm 23, but I, or uh, 1 Samuel 23, but I, I want to walk through the series of events just to point out 
uh, that very that very fact. Um, so David, he, uh, boy, he, he he's doing the right thing. He's got these uh, group of people around him, and he hears about the Philistines. So another enemy of Israel, they've come to attack this uh, fortified city called uh, Keilah. Uh, it's a awesome fortified place, but it's being attacked by the Philistines. And so David inquires of the Lord once again, hey, do you want me to go with my men and, and save this city, the Israelite city of Keilah? And God says, yes, go down. I'll give you victory. And so you're like, yeah, this is awesome. So he goes down and he beats the Philistines in, in this place called Keilah. Uh, it's this fortified city. Well, Saul hears about it and hears that David has gone down to Keilah this fortified city, and says, ha, I got him. Never mind about the Philistines, which are actually Saul's enemies, it's Israelite enemies. He, he thinks, I got him because he's going to be stuck in this, in this fortress that won't be able to get out, and then I can go and just kill him. So I, I picture this castle in Slovenia uh, when I hear of Kyla. It's like David went here, captured it, and is welcomed in as the, the champion. Hey, great. Uh, and so he, he's there. Uh, Saul hears about it and starts rounding up a bunch of guys that's going to go down there. And so uh, what does David do once again? Uh, Abiathar, the, the son of the priest, has the ephod with him. So they inquire of the Lord once again. Lord, do you, do you want me to stay here or uh, should I go? Is Saul going to come down here? And, and if Saul comes down here, are the people of Keilah, are they going to give me over to him, and God says, yes, Saul is coming down, and these people will basically betray you and give you over. And you're like, no, that's not how the story should, that's not how the story should be. And, and, and so, so David, through chapter 23 then, has to flee. So all these men who have just beat the Philistines, who have saved the city, uh, are betrayed by their own people and have to just run. And they scatter all over the place and, and hide. And the rest of the chapter is Saul just like hunting David like a dog. As he's escaping here and escaping here and just fleeing for his life. And you think, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right. Well, David finally gets to this one point where he's with his men and, and Saul's barreling in and they're on one side of the mountain and Saul's on the other and they're just about to come get him when a messenger comes and tells Saul, hey, the Philistines are attacking and if you don't come back now, you're not going to have a kingdom to come, come back to. And so Saul goes, okay, we got to give up the chase on David and actually saves David in that place. David is kept safe. He's in the safekeepings of the great king. But it's not safekeepings from trials or hardships. It's actually safekeepings through them. So one final thought before I close the message. Uh, with God, he says you will be in safekeeping. Uh, no matter what happens in life, no matter what health situations, economic, relationship situations, if you stay with God, he will keep you in safe keepings. It does not mean that you won't have any trials or struggles, but it does mean that in any of those struggles that you're in, even one today, if you'll turn right next to you, there's, there's Jesus. Stick with me. Because what, what happens to you happens to me, and what happens to me happens to you. Uh, this enemy, this kingdom of, of darkness and humanity is after to get us. But if you stay with me, I'll keep you. 
Find your refuge in me. And, and then don't be surprised when things go bad. When your car breaks down, don't think, oh, man, I must be something uh, I'm doing bad. Where's the Lord at? You say, the Lord's right there with you. He's keeping you safe. When things don't go right, don't go, oh, I must be off the, the path of the Lord. The Lord's right there with you, keeping you safe in all the ups and downs. And he offers to be your refuge in those times of need, in those times of crisis. That he can keep your soul safe till the end. I want to end now before we invite the worship team to come back up. I think it's very, uh, very fitting before we start singing uh, to do one more psalm. It's another song that David wrote. Uh, David wrote a lot of psalms as he's uh, feeling all these things and going, man, where's God at in this? And, and then feeling the peace, even in the cave, of going, God's right here with me. Uh, and so I'll read David's psalm, and then we'll invite the worship team to come back in, and, and hopefully that'll inform our hearts and shape our hearts that wherever you're facing today or you will be facing, uh, that we can find God as our refuge. If you want to follow along, it's on page 490 of your pew Bible. It's in Psalm 142. This is a psalm that David was uh, pinning and meditating and chewing on as he's in the cave. Psalm 142, a masculine of David, when he was in the cave. It's, it's a prayer. It's a song, but it's a prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Lord, I've got nothing left. Verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Lord, when, when all things are stripped away and we have nothing left, Lord, you are right there. speaking words of uh, peace and forgiveness and security. But Lord, how often do we go back to our circumstances and think, oh, this is just bad. I, I can't find my, my peace and my comfort in, in this or this. Uh, Lord, when things go bad, uh, we want to know where you're at. And, and you're speaking in these words today that you're right there. You're with the righteous. You, you have bound your life to those who have bound their life to you. And Lord, I, I pray that we would find our refuge in you, not in our circumstances, but that we would choose every day as we go out from here, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our sports, that we would be people of the kingdom of God. 
that we'd find our refuge in you, our strength in you, our forgiveness in you, our health and everything in you, that we would be followers of Jesus, the great king. And that, the, that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we would find forgiveness and encouragement for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. We're located on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off Highway 212 in Damascus, Oregon. And you can find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.